so what are video games? Let's really get into it this week. I don't. I. I. I actually don't know. After all these years. Uh, you know the thing about it is, and you know I say this all the time, but you know I think it's especially true right now. Uh, do you want to say it for me? Um, it's never been a worse time to play video games. Really? Can you, uh, can I elaborate? Can you expand on that? Can um, you elaborate? there are so many, there's too many. And if you're looking to get in right now, I'd say just avoid it altogether. You're not going to be able to get, you, you can't this get is, it. This is the season. Tis the season. It's the season for pumpkin spice and, uh, spending too much money on video games. Everything nice. Have you been playing any of these, uh, video games? Where do we, where do we start? I have been playing a little been a bit while. of these video games. Um, it's been a while, so I feel like I, I have a lot of video games that yeah. I haven't mentioned. Uh huh. I mean, maybe most on my mind, and the thing that I thought is like the most interesting thing to talk about is Metroid Dread. Um, okay. I, I have so many. Th- like, it's weird what a polarizing game that is. Um, I, I've I've uh, I've played and finished it, and it clocked in I think at like seven or eight hours, which is not. You know, which is a, it, it, that's an okay time. Um, that, that it's just, this is a Switch title. Uh, it is a an extremely classic, um, aggressively classic Metroid um, that goes for like very almost nothing that new or surprising um, to the point where like most Metroid fans will kind of understand, uh, you know, what the power ups you'll get are. Um, I, I didn't really feel like there were too many power-ups that i was like oh this is kind of new and unique like most of the power-ups are yeah. you know the you get the varia suit you get the so, the more fall you get missiles yeah the so so the metroid dread so most every everyone knows what a metroid game is at this point you know yeah but this one is so standard like and i guess to some people that's yeah. somewhat refreshing i'm just saying yeah, that like this this is a 2d side yeah. this is a 2d side-scrolling metroid yeah so but the thing is also in, in this game so you are getting power-ups at uh, like so fast yeah like you will run into you'll run into a room there will be like oh I, I can't go this way because there's uh you know fire blocking my path and then and then you go like two rooms over and you get like the solution on how to deal with fire and, and i think the thing that i i guess threw me for a loop and, and apparently like this is par for the course uh but this is not really a game about exploration and like poking around for the most part, this is a linear game disguised as like an open exploration game. Yeah, there's a really interesting. I, I like this uh, YouTube uh, content creator Bosskeys, and he did a really interesting breakdown of the mechanics behind it, and it's it's really fascinating. Like the world is extremely large, and uh, like there's yes. all these different areas that are cordoned off through this like ant like kind of farm of like you can take this elevator to this area and like the world feels very large but an interesting thing that the game is like constantly doing is that it like forces you to go forward um it'll like lock you off of old areas areas like like locking old locking uh doors behind you or like in or, or like you go through a room and like you go through like almost a one-way thing like a good example he does he talks about early on is that like there's a little gap that you can slide through and in like the very early segment of the game where like you've gotten you know 30 minutes in and then you basically like like once you get to this room you slide through this gap and now there's now the gap is raised and you don't currently have the morph ball and you can't get through that raised gap so you're going to be stuck in an area so like what the game is constantly secretly doing 
is it like it's locking off it's like secretly locking way. off your ex- yeah. your 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 wrong ways and as large as the map is it's making it so that there's like maybe 10 percent of the map maybe there's like three or four rooms that you could be in um at yep. a time that like act that, that like you're trying to figure out which of the rooms has you know the trick forward or, or you know you're maybe you're missing a door or something or you, you didn't realize you haven't gone in something so like it actually is extremely linear and further on the point that you said i thought that like the game doesn't like let anything breathe um in 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 a lot of other metroid games or like a zelda game or something where you get a new ability um usually the game tries to return back to that often and in this game i thought it was more so the case that like you a lot of the power-ups outside of like maybe grapple beam and morph ball a lot of the power-ups are like are like oh you uh there's these fiery fungus guys and how are you gonna get around them and then you get the solution and it's used in like two rooms and then they stop using it and like like you you basically just you almost so often it feels like you go into an area and then you're locked suddenly locked in by like a new type of block that is like only broken by something that you haven't seen yet and then you're kind of forced forward you get that that answer to it and then you can go back and break those blocks and then it forces you into another area that like now is like well now there's a new block or new something so like i so often felt like a lot of the abilities were like a one-time thing especially if you go and there's also a lot of cases where you'll get an ability that uh usurps another ability one thing i thought was weird is that at some point in the game you get uh, spoilers uh you get a double jump oh fuck and 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 then very shortly after really shortly after you get infinite jumps yeah you get screw attack and that like and that's actually very thankful because probably my biggest one of my biggest gripes about the game is that the double jump is just broken and even the screw attack like doesn't always yeah they feel terrible correctly and and therein like this is where i start to draw real problems because you you can i think that it's obviously with well within someone's right to play a game and say like oh i didn't it didn't bother me bother me that this metroid was like fairly linear um and I think in most cases you could like truly break down other games and say like maybe this is a good step forward or this is a good design choice. I know that um, in Hollow Knight I had a bad experience with it because I spent so much time like backtracking and not really knowing what the game wanted me to do at certain segments. Like I had I I remember there was one time where like it, it was fairly early on and I'm just like going around in circles like where is like like scouring the map like what what is the thing that I'm supposed to do I just like I just cannot find it right now so Metroid Dread is very good about like not making you feel too lost ever and I I I think that that is a design choice that people will like or hate or like or dislike but some of the some of the shit is just broken um I think it's just like bad game design and that is why I think it's such an interesting polarizing game because there's people who like really are talking about it as like this is the best Metroid in years I mean it is a Metroid that has happened it's the only Metroid in years or whatever but um uh it really does it really is weird how polarizing it is to me that that like there's people who are could even talk about this in terms of a game of the year when like I, I, the, the, first of all, the double jump was straight up broken is like beyond broken. I don't even understand after using it for the time that they made, made me use it, which is thankfully, like you said, small before you get screw attack, which is a little bit more generous. Um, 
the double jump just like it failed to go off a lot of times and there was this room that is like a nightmare where there's these mushrooms that you have to jump on top of and if you're standing yep. on top of them for a little while like once you stand on top of them they decay and then you'd fall down so you have to like you know and if you've played this game you know exactly the room like you, this like i, I I don't. I, I didn't read a lot of discourse, but I feel like if I did, uh, this room would be a major criticism. And it made me feel the way it was like a, it was like a, a beer goggles kind of moment. Um, it was like the way that like I don't know that something can try and Im- imitate like the feeling of a drug or something where. Uh, I was playing in, I was in this room and the way you get out of it is by jump, double jumping on one mushroom and then correctly double jumping on the next mushroom. And I, I suddenly felt like I was like 40 years older or younger. Sure. With, I, meaning that I would almost not, I wouldn't even be alive in the, the younger case it, because I was just watching myself like jump, double jump onto a mushroom. Now I'm a little bit higher in the room. Double jump onto another mushroom. Oops. Now I jumped and the double jump didn't go off and I fell to the bottom. Okay, double jump onto a mushroom. And I was just doing this for like 20, 30 minutes. It was it was really nuts that it like it just wasn't working at all. And then the 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 icing on the cake is that the last part of the room is once you get all the way up top, you have to make like one final last good jump where you like where like the ceiling is low, so you have to kind of do like a jump, fall a little bit and then double jump. Yeah. And sure. if you fail to do that, then it it reset it is a complete fall, like free fall to the bottom of the room. And, oh, it's just a bad experience. It's a horrible experience. I also felt like uh, the other thing that gets commonly talked about is that the game is, like, high difficulty. And I would mostly agree with the difficulty, but also say say that it's unfair. Um, and why I would say that, it, like, it, thankfully, the, the checkpointing is very generous. But it is very, very unfair in the fact that, like, you almost you I, I would almost say you literally cannot sight read bosses like the bosses are designed in such a way Yeah, it reminds me of a game like inside and i think that we've yes. talked about these types of games before where it's like you are walking across a path and and uh and a monster comes out of the ground and like chomps you and then next time that you're there you notice like oh there are like these thorns on the ground that don't really stand out but that's an area where a monster is and that feels like every fight in Metroid Dread yeah. uh, against the boss where it's like this boss has a move that you weren't aware of and because you don't know how it works uh it's going to chunk you for like a quarter or half of your health. Yeah, I then... felt like the damage was really weird. Like you go when you go back to older areas the enemies are hitting for nothing and then when you get into bosses like it was the the gameplay had this weird thing of like I'm basically always dying to and we haven't talked about emmys yet which is another complaint massive complaint that i'm about to have um but the the gameplay like i would die constantly like i've probably i died hundreds of times in this game in this metroid game which is rare i don't think that that is a common thing that i've experienced in metroid um in 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 nintendo games in general this is not like a nintendo this is like mercury steam i think is the uh, developer but um i haven't really experienced that in in uh, nintendo games um, much less like Metroid or Metroidvania games. Uh, and I, I felt like it was, it was all these kinds of deaths. Like it was that, uh, the boss just had a new pattern. And until you like got so reflexively good at the patterns, it would just crush you in like four hits and feel like impossible to deal with. And you just constantly through repetition, just get to the point where you knew exactly how to do it. Yeah. And and a lot of people said, on the on the 
round that they beat the boss, they usually do it without getting hit at all. Yeah, so that doesn't feel like a difficulty thing. It feels exactly like the inside thing. It just feels like there are very binary boss mechanics that are like, you must dodge this. And you get, and then once you have died to it 30 times, you get to the point where like you know the tell exactly, you found like the exact answer to it, and now it's not really a problem. But I don't think that that is like... That doesn't mean difficulty to me. Like, it doesn't mean that, like, it's not a positive thing. Like, I I think for a game to be high difficulty in a good way is that, like, there has to be some level of sight reading. There has to be some level of, like, the boss has a tell and the boss is punishing, but even on the first time, like, you are used to these kind of tells or that there's, like, universal mechanics um, that are being utilized. And, like, in this game, they just did not do that. I agree. Yeah. Um, so there there are some positives about the game. I think that uh, it looks great and it, does it look sounds good. great. It, it's it could the, look a little bit better. Presentation is is cool. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a Switch game, right? It's it's not I, even I that. I, I also I just felt like um, some of the areas are kind of pretty, but some a lot of the areas are a, a little bit more like lackluster or standard. I thought Gavora, I think, is the name of like the the like watery, more um, like bio organic. Um, area kind of looks pretty good. But I also noticed that, like, it's a Metroid, so you have these hallways, and a lot of the game is, like, that black screen, you know what I mean? And I feel like they could have been... They could have done a little bit more with that empty space. They could have done a little bit more with, like, the set dressing. Um, They do some cool stuff in the back with, like, monsters moving around in the back. And I think the cutscenes are good. They definitely moved Samus in, like... There's, like, a obvious change to Samus being, like, an action hero star of like Samus is very much like I think she literally walks away from like expo- explosions and stuff like there's a lot of moments of her just like calmly like the monster is like doing its last ditch attack and she just like calmly puts her like like blaster her arm blaster up in the air and like just shoots it in the you know mouth one last time like there's little pretty over the top cutscenes yeah and i mean in a lot of cases uh the game feels like pretty good there there are some things that are like janky with the controls uh like you mentioned the double jump is weird i think i i had a lot of trouble crouching in this game crouching is weird and, and also crouching is weird and there are a lot of times where like i tried to jump and then shoot down and then i was a morph ball and then uh like when you're suddenly a morph ball in the middle of a fight it's it's one of those things it reminds me almost of like in a fighting game when I accidentally hit taunt and all of a sudden I think something is wrong because I'm like, why is my character not moving? Yeah, and it takes and me a second to realize like, oh, I went into a morph ball and I didn't mean to. And now I'm getting hit with everything. And it feels like this game was designed for a controller with another like two or three buttons uh, because there are so many button inputs and so many cases of like, hold this button and press this. I know. One of the it, grossest ones of this is like, there's this whole mechanic that is, I think it doesn't pay off at all and is just straight up bad. And it is probably my biggest frustration with the game is the Emmy mechanic. And like that is this thing in this game where uh, this completely like inexplicable binary thing where there are certain rooms in the game and like there are these, there'll be these segments of like connected rooms that are controlled by an Emmy. I don't even, I'm not sure what it is, what it stands for, but it's a, it doesn't matter. It's it's some sort of like, it's a robot that um, is meant for like extracting DNA from Samus or something. And it kills you when it touches you. Um, The, there are seven of them and it's one of the main progression system. It's one of the main, like 
uh, paths forward in the game. I mean, it is the path forward. It's like the main thing that you have. One of your main goals is like to destroy seven Emmys and get off of this uh, this planet. Um, and the way that the Emmys work is that it is a stealth segment, like a, a chase and, and like stealth segment. The Emmy walks around the area and it scans the area for you and it has a like line of sight. And if it sees Samus, it'll run at Samus and it does an instant kill if it touches her. Um, I don't think that that like unless uh, unless I, I didn't so I didn't even know that I don't think I don't remember if like the game does a better job explaining this, but I don't even know didn't even know that there is like a, a one frame way out of this if you they give you two chances yeah to parry the Emmy which will stun it and then you can run away much but I couldn't even get this it was a very tight window and for the most part it just meant that like when Emmys caught me I was just dead um. But the, the this the Emmy mechanic is like it's just beyond broken. It's it's like it was frustrating to like an insane degree. They they give you the main thing that you hack tool that you have against Emmy the Emmys is that you have a cloak. Um, you have like a uh, invisibility cloak that uh, uses like an energy meter, and when it uses the energy meter up, it starts to drain your health, and then when it gets to one health, it brings you out of the cloak. Um, so the way that you'd think that this works a lot of times is that like the Emmy would be kind of like pinging for you. It finds where you are and then it kind of like starts chasing after you and then you can cloak and hide somewhere. Um, that is unless it's like line of sight thing saw you and then your, the cloaking doesn't work. But where this problem, where the problem begins is that like there's something like wrong with the AI and I've heard this elsewhere um, and I felt like I had this a lot of times where um, like I would, I, I would get through most of a segment, know that like like I keep would keep dying and I would know that like, oh, at this point, this is usually when the Emmy catches up to me. Um, so I'd get through most of the segment, get to a part um, like cloak. And then the Emmy would just kind of stand around near me like it knew I was there and it wouldn't really leave. Like it would turn around, look away for a second and then turn back around and like continually do this as it's as if it's like the AI knows where I am, but it like it knows it's not allowed to interact with me in this weird way, like, it wouldn't just leave. And it was, like, it, it led to so many times where just for, like, a minute or two, I'm just sitting there, standing cloaked, like, trying to move. Your, your movement is slowed down. You can't, like, double jump, and you can't really do much while you're, while you're in this state. So you kind of are forced in a lot of cases to, like, hope that it leaves you alone. And the AI just, like, wouldn't do that in a lot of cases. It just felt so wonky. Other than that, like, it wouldn't do that in some cases. And then in some cases, it would just walk over... Like, even without having spotted me, it would just, it would, like, continue along the path, and if it touches you, it bumps into you, it, it goes through its, like, auto-kill animation. So, there were so many times where I felt like, oh, I'm cloaking, I'm gonna dodge it, and then it, like, looks away for a second, then it just decides, like, I'm gonna walk in this direction, and it does hit yeah. me. Um, so I just found that segment, like, that stuff, like, really frustrating. Um, and then after, so the main way you kill them is, like, I, I don't know why it has to be like this, but you like they they this whole thing of like trying to finally get to an area that has this like very bland mini boss that I never had any difficulty with, where it's just this kind of floating. The Chozo warriors or oh, no the, no the yeah, floating the brain, brain thing. Yeah, like you you you'd fight these like little mother brains, and they wouldn't really put up a fight at all. And then after that, you had this like Omega blaster, um, and then you had to do this like you know uh, twister on the controls where you hold left to aim and while you have omega blaster it does an over the shoulder aim and then like right to charge and then uh y to release 
Yes. Which, which it doesn't really make much sense to me when I, I like, it was something that like kind of fr- frustrated me a lot in the beginning. Cause it's like, well, if it's fully charged up, then shouldn't releasing the charge button shoot it? Like, why do I need to, the, you need to aim charge with one button and then shoot it with another button. When like in most games, once you've released, rele- you've done the full charge by releasing the button it will do it. Why did you put in a third input button? Like, there's a lot of times where this game does that unnecessarily. Then, like, even, you know, six hours into the game, seven hours into the game, I still would sometimes have times where, like, instead of to to grapple and to dash is, like, on a similar button combination. It's, like, to hold down right trigger, and it's either, like, X or A or something. And it, it it would be, like, a lot of times that, like, in a, after a segment, I'm just, like, sitting there in front of a grapple, hook thing and i'm just dashing um so so if you had to score this game on one to ten you've said pretty much only negative things about it but i am but you did finish it right so i'm I'm curious where where you would like score this game i think that i think that it is such a fair seven out of ten you know like there there were it propelled me through just because like i i would play an hour or two and then think like oh i really want to play more because i think that it's it's a it's a pretty attractive game. It has and good momentum. It has really good pacing. Like it, it, it regardless the the abilities like you and I kind of alluded to. I think the abilities are like largely known quantities, and I don't think that they'll like surprise Metroid fans. But you are getting them at an insane rate uh, degree. Like there, there were times where where like the similar the loop of the game is like you encounter something that you can't get past. And then two rooms later, you get the upgrade that lets you get it passed. And then two rooms after that, you're finding another upgrade. There were times where I was like, I would just like up get an upgrade, and then like a room or two later, just got an upgrade really quickly. Like it was it was a really quick momentum. And I think that like it, like you said, like when things are working, it has a really satisfying feel to it. Like the movement, Samus's movement is good. Um, the dash feels good. The slide feels good there's a lot of like there's a lot of like visceral aspects to the game that play pretty well yeah and, and it feels good to to know the bosses at the end and, and to like execute what you have learned yeah um and and i do think that there was this thing where it's like after after i'd put it down for a day or a couple hours i would come back to it with like a, a renewed fervor of like man like i am loving this game this game is so exciting and then i would just play it for a little bit and like die 20 times to the same emmy encounter and then just like by the end of that like start to like get frustrated put it down and then just think like why am i getting frustrated this game is great i gotta go back to it so like it sounds like uh how i interact with valorant yeah i mean it's just it's it's a weird game it's it's good um it's it's not it's not like an impossible game to recommend and especially for people who like metroidvania like it is a metroid i i feel like metroidvania like after playing this it, it seems like, unfair like, like to, to lump puts these more... two things together because there's something more in in Castlevania where it is about like the secrets also where Iga Igavania games are so willing to hide very powerful like items and, and like chunks of the game uh, behind secrets where there will be you know, you'll you'll complete the game with like ninety percent map completion, but if you keep going, you'll get two hundred and fourteen percent map completion. Yeah, and and I feel like in Metroid, I I would give it a six out of ten by the way, but I, I feel like in Metroid, 
I, I didn't ever feel like rewarded for exploring. The only items that you can find are more health and more missile capacity. And uh, apparently that's always been the case. And that's fine. And and I'm sure that some people appreciate the, the linearity of that, especially in a world where in a world uh, where every game is like a collectathon that's like competing for your time. There is something nice about this game just being an honest like there is one route through this game and there is no like on like collectibles. There's not like really a new game plus or anything like there that. There's a new game plus. There is hard mode, but there's not New Game Plus. Isn't there? Right? And there's also like the some of the extra like crazy stuff at the end of the game or something. There's like a like there's like a New Game Plus that keeps some of the abilities or something and like gives you like I hyper don't think so. No, I don't think that's true. I thought that I thought that was I had I had heard people talking about a difference between hard mode with no like a a, a dry hard mode run versus like a hard mode with like maybe you you keep your power ups maybe you keep your missiles health or something like that i'm not sure uh i i I similarly felt like the uh the the health was so important but the missiles got to the point of being redundant like i had like a 110 missiles or something at one point and usually usually in bosses in boss segments there would be a uh like like different mechanic to recover yeah to recover missiles. missiles so like you never really ran out of that like i could never run out of them um, I think the the biggest reason to play this game though is to be familiar with it enough to watch the speedruns. Yeah. Okay. Because I think that the speedruns of this game are going to be terrific. I think the skips are really interesting. Um, there's this ability called Shine Spark, which is uh, you can gain momentum through sprinting, and after you've sprinted enough, uh, you can charge a shine, and then it gives you like five seconds to release it, and when you release the shine. Uh, it propels you in the direction of your choice. Um, so people use this to skip a lot of the game, like areas where, uh, you know, they expect you to have a double jump or a triple jump or something to progress. Where if you're good at shine sparking, you can use it to skip all of that. And, and I think that th- that's kind of one of the, the cool things. And there are also bosses uh, that have that they built cinematics in, or if you have skipped. To the boss through sequence breaking and are using like abilities uh, that you wouldn't normally have at wow. that section of the game, uh, and those that's pretty cool. And and there's also a boss that you can instant kill uh, with the shine spark. Uh, you might remember there's a boss that does like this gauntlet of lasers where they're like shooting like lasers and you have to like run and jump over them. Yes. Uh, so you could charge a shine spark there unsurprisingly and instant kill the boss at the end of that and there's a there's there's a unique like visual when it happens and so stuff like that is pretty cool it almost feels like you know this stuff was intentionally put in the game because they know about the speedrunning culture around metroid that's pretty cool um i think the last thing i'd say is like if frustrate the last thing that is like i think just a straight up deterrent is like just a straight up bad thing that is kind of confusing that again like with these aspects in play, I'm surprised that people enjoyed the game as much as they did or just put it on a pedestal of game of the year as much as they might. Um, is it, there were so many times where there's like blocks that, uh, th- th- I think there is a time really, really early in the game where when you take the first elevator to a new area, um, there's a door on the right and there's nothing on the left. And then the door on the right, there's like almost an immediately you encounter something that is like, you're not ready to go here. And in, 
your your general like especially since this is early on and you haven't experienced this i think most gamers like the the lingo by which you play metroid games is that when you encounter a new thing that is like an insurmountable problem you go the other way so the game kind of yeah. like naturally would make you feel like oh i have to go back to the old area i missed something but what you were supposed to do is like fire a missile to the left where there's nothing and it breaks off um, uh, yeah, like a this wall. game has a lot of like invisible, like invisible blocks that you have to break to progress. But I don't know why to this break is a thing. to progress is the problem. It's like if there, there's a lot of times in this game where like eventually the game gives you an upgrade where you like have like a sonar that shows all breakable that shows breakable blocks on the screen, and that doesn't that feels weird that they ever had to give you that. But there are a lot of like later game things where it's like oh the last block in the top right of the room you can explode it and it just gives you a power up it just gives you a missile um and that to me is totally fine i i'm not bothered by that if you want if if like games want you to shoot every wall to find a secret like there are people out there who like that's their jam that's fine with me the if you're gonna make progression tied behind blocks that look exactly like the other blocks I think that I think that is a huge problem, like a massive problem. There are multiple times in this game where it would make you think like I can't progress, but you have to like either shoot the ground or, uh, you know, shoot a, a wall. And then it get, and then that's the way forward when like on the same screen, there's like a door or two that would make that would like, obviously it's like it's a weird like red herring. Like, why would you? If anything, it seems you have to wonder why. If anything, it seems like a good game designer would make it so there wasn't a door, and that it would make you as a player say, "Like, really, is this it? Maybe I'll try shooting things." Because, it, like, in, but in, even then, why? 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 And you know, this is something that was like figured out. I feel like so long ago is like in in Ocarina of Time. In, in like most old games, I think even in like you know older Zeldas, and I think even in older Metroid, maybe not like the older Metroids, but I think in Fusion at least, like breakable blocks have like a different look to them. And so like if you as a designer want to make like a path forward that has like you know a block that has a crack in it, I think that that's fine. Like that would be something where like the eagle-eyed you know person like scans around the room and is like, hey, why is there a crack in that? I'm gonna try things i'm gonna try a missile i'm gonna try shooting at it i'm gonna try morph ball um so this reminds me of when i was a kid and i was stuck on a dungeon in Link's awakening and i was actually i couldn't progress through this dungeon for actual years there was a clue that was like uh you have to place a bomb between the eyes and there was this wall in the dungeon and there was a torch on the left and right side of it and no indication of eyes anywhere, but you were supposed to place a bomb in the middle of these two torches that are on opposite sides of, which is not uncommon for like a dungeon to have a torch on one side and a torch on the other. But I, at, at some point I, I acquired the internet in like fifth grade or something. And then I, like one of the first things I did with the internet was look up like, how do I beat this dungeon that I've been stuck on for years? in this game because that because that's the way it was when you're a kid but when i found that out i i was pretty aggravated and come on yeah um like, we're still dealing with this sort of problem this, like, this I game like, like i i looked up like i had to look up problems because one of the first times that i encountered this like i was so confused by it and i saw that there was this big actual like thing going on with this game where if you look up like metroid dread soft lock 
that like similar to the way that water temple worked where people like it, like there was this common thing in ocarina of time i keep going back to a better designed game um but there's a common thing in ocarina of time where the water temple is like kind of confusing and labyrinthian labyrinthian and there's there's a lot of like silver keys that lead kind of to like extras or don't really lead anywhere so it caused like me as a kid to think like oh i broke the game like i did something i used the silver key in a way that i wasn't meant to and now like i was supposed to use a silver key that was going to give me progression to the dungeon but instead like i opened the wrong door with it and that's actually not true um you can't do you can't really soft lock it like that yeah but there, there is a concern. Like, people are worried about those kind of things. And Metroid Dread actually has a lot of this concern. Like, it'll self... Like, Google searches will self-correct to, like, Metroid Dread soft lock. Like, people are like, oh, I'm at this part of the game. I think I made a mistake. And I, like, locked myself off of the correct area. And it's never that, like, they're actually... They actually did. It's just that, like, they were supposed to, like, oh, go into this one room and shoot this one block on the ground to open up the, the ground. Like, what? I just... That's like it's just inexplicable. Like it, it is. It, yeah. w- once you've seen it happen before, like you have some level of degree of knowledge to it. But like the first couple it times it happens, good. it never feels good. And the first couple times it happens, it is like bewildering that the paths forward. Like there's this one time where there's like a fan that's pushing you back, and it just makes you think, oh, you can't go here yet. But you have to go a different route that has no exit, and then shoot the ground. And there's no indication that they would that they that like this would be yeah. the case. Like, at least so, there should be things of, like, you know, something, some market demarcation, on whatever. I'm, it, it's, that's a very frustrating thing. And it's, it's, it is legitimately bad game design. I cannot, it's one of those things where, like, like I said, there's a lot of other aspects of the game that I think you can have other opinions on. But there's these things, like, that are just, they're bad. Like, that is bad. Why, in 2021, you can't have the way forward be blocked by a wall that looks exactly like, the other wall with no in-game hint. Man, this is a lot of talk about Metroid Dread. I think it's interesting. I, I but... totally, I totally agree. Uh, soft blocking, like the idea that people could think that they're soft locked, is problematic. But what if I told you there's a better designed game that is simple that that people have called a Metroidvania where you can hard lock yourself out of. Uh, have you heard about this game, Unsighted? Oh, um, yes. You were telling me a little bit about this. So Unsighted is a it's more of like a, a Zelda-like game uh, where you are playing uh, a, as a robot in the midst of a robot apocalypse where uh, you are, everyone on the world is on a timer. There is essentially this uh, resource that is required uh, to give robots their consciousness uh, that is fading from the world. There's a little bit of it left and you are tasked with going out and getting this resource and giving it to the NPCs and consuming it for yourself. And if you don't, uh, they die or you die. Like your game ends, you die. Um, and, and I find this really compelling for a number of reasons. One reason is that it, it really gives weight to everything that you do. So if if you see, for example, like there is this platforming puzzle uh, that I want to figure out, but I keep failing. And every time I fail on it, I'm actually spending time. Like I'm, I'm spending time. People's life forces are dwindling, and and there's something really exciting about that tension. And and this is, this feels like the type of thing that game developers would be afraid to do. You know what I mean? This is on this is on Game Pass, by the way. Uh, so 
Every, anybody with the Game Pass subscription game is called Unsighted. You could check it out. Uh, this feels like the type of thing that a developer would be like kind of afraid to do because you can get to the case of like being frustrated of being like, I keep dying on this and I'm, I'm losing time, but, but I do really appreciate what this adds. So essentially as you're going through this game, you're collecting like this meteor dust, uh, you're going through dungeons, you're unlocking like new weapons, new upgrades, new like uh, passive perks and things like that. But all of the NPCs that you could talk to, they have um, like a, a a relationship meter with you. And then every time you talk to them, it tells you how many hours they have left. And a character's hours might be related to uh, a real world minute is an in-game hour. So you might see someone and it says, you know, they have 120 hours left, which means they have two hours of playtime. And if you give enough meteor dust to them to increase their relationship, uh, they will give you items that are extremely like potent. There is uh, a weapon crafter where you will, he has this sword behind, like in a case. It's like this, and you can see it, it's like this flaming lightning ice sword. And he's like, that's my prototype weapon. If only I had enough time to work on it. So in order to get that weapon, you have to give him uh, the four meteor dust. And then you get that really strong weapon. But if you do that, uh, somebody else isn't getting it, right? Or at, at some point, you might even be dooming yourself, or maybe you've given, you've shared so much uh, with NPCs that maybe you don't have enough meteor dust for yourself. Because every meteor dust gives you uh, 24 hours of time. I, I don't know really how much I've gotten, but they, they definitely do not give you enough to save everybody. And th there is, they're also like, stories that you want to see through you have this sort of like a navi like creature like this fairy that like follows you around and they have a story uh where they're trying to like find their sister and and maybe you want to see their story through so maybe you want to give them four meteor dust but they're so that they you know they give you like their powerful perk which is then they'll start to fight for you they'll be like a a pet that'll like start fighting for you but what if Four wasn't enough. What if like you died and, you know, they require like five or six to have enough actual time to survive. And and, and I just found that to be like a, a really compelling game mechanic. And on top of this, the actual moment to moment gameplay is uh, it's pretty exciting. Essentially, it's like you have two weapons. Usually you'll have like a melee weapon and a uh, ranged weapon. There will be like you're trying to parry a lot of the time or dodge. If you parry, you could get like a, a 3x damage weapon. You're equipping perks that'll do things like, uh, uh, you know, your parries do five times more damage, but the window is tighter. Or your weapons uh, have a better, more generous window for active reload because the game has active reloading. It's it's a game that has a lot of mechanics going on, but I... I, I just think that that's also interesting because you can kind of choose the mechanics that you like. Like like there's this uh, potion mechanic where uh, you are crafting these sort of potion-like things where it's like uh, ignore a hit. And you can create a potion that lets you ignore a hit. And there's a character that if you give enough meteor dust to, they'll, du they'll double the efficacy of your potion. So, so instead of ignoring one hit, uh, this potion will give you the ability to ignore two hits. 
And then you could create a build that's based around, I do 50% more damage when I'm at full life. And I have this ability to negate a bunch of hits because of these potions that I'm stacking. And you can sort of create a build and you could sort of see the way in which if I were to play this game again, I could choose these other character relationships and not only will the story play out differently, but also the way that I'm navigating the game and like the moment to moment combat is different because of the way that I'm saving or letting people die. Yeah, it sounds really interesting and it has a good, good look. Yeah, and it's reviewing well. It's not, I, I don't think it's too long a game. I think it's like 12 hours. Um, I fell off of it just because there are a lot of video games out there to play. What else have you played? So I played a, a new video game, and, and you know maybe it's time that I talk about some new video games before I get back to old ones. But I've been playing uh, quite a bit of Back for Blood. I've been playing this co-op with a couple different people, mostly teams of three or four players. And I think that this game is much better than Left for Dead. And you'd hope that, right? Because this is a game that uh, has... It's been how long since Left for Dead? like 10 years maybe since Left 4 Dead 2, maybe a little longer. But it's been a long time, and games have changed a lot. But this Back 4 Blood is the... It, it's more than a spiritual successor. This is like the the real successor from Left 4 Dead, developed by Turtle Rock Studios, the developers of Left 4 Dead, who eventually went on to develop Evolve. And I, I'm not sure this might be their first game since Evolve. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but... Uh, in Back for Blood, you are playing as a survivor of the zombie apocalypse. You have immunity to uh, the infection, and you are going through these like wave-based levels where you're getting swarmed by zombies. And it, it sort of has all of the things that Left for Dead was really well known for. Uh, key among them is the idea of this AI director, uh, which is every time that you play through a level, depending on how the level is going, uh, they will, the AI director, which is kind of like a game master, uh, will send different variations of like the special mutated your way. And, and sometimes they'll like stack them up. They'll be like, okay, this player is doing really well. Uh, so let's see what happens if we send like five of these tall boys in from behind. Or they'll be like, but, and, and so sometimes, it, you know, they'll be like, okay, the player is uh, doing really poorly. So maybe... Uh, it'll give you extra healing items or you'll find like a healing cabinet somewhere, something like that. So that's been good because of the fact that uh, we've had more and more people coming in to try the game out. And every time that they do, uh, me and Kevin and Nate will start the game over from the beginning, uh, sort of to onboard the new player and walk them through the first couple of levels. So we've seen these first couple of levels a lot of times. But I got to say that it has not gotten boring to play them over and over again. And not just because of the AI director, uh, but also because of the card system. So as there are eight different characters and all of them have uh, unique perks. So one character recovers stamina whenever they get a melee kill. One character gets a stacking buff every time they get a precision kill until they get hit so you could like be in the back lines with like a sniper rifle and just like try to be like very defensive and just keep stacking your damage modifier and then just you know when it gets to bossing time then you're just like 
dealing a truckload of damage to them. So on top of those characters, there's the card system, which is you are building a deck of perks and every level you're drawing a set of five cards from your deck and you're choosing one of them uh, to add to your hand and then, and then to bring on. So at the end of the act, you have drawn like your entire deck and your character is like fully kitted out and you know, they have all these benefits. You can make a, a character that is, uh, I think one of the coolest ones is you have 75% hip fire accuracy, but you can't aim down sights. And you have a, you can carry like two primary weapons is one of them. And you could have one where your weapon reloads when it's stowed away. So you could create a build where it's like you're carrying two primary SMG weapons. Uh, you're sprinting around. Your, when you unload a clip, you switch to your secondary. You have Now you have a full gun again, and you're running around with that one. When that one's out, you switch back to your primary, and they're both like, you know, constantly, you never have to reload, and you just are constantly running and gunning. You can create a build that's all around like, I, around like melee and having a lot of stamina, and uh, essentially you could create like a tanking build in this game. And, and also the melee weapons, they they have personalities where there are ones that are like these really wide swinging weapons that deal like I think it's like the bat, which is like a really wide swinging one that's really good at crowd control. But then there's like this long axe that you do like an overhead swing and it deals like a ton of uh, weak point damage. So it's like really good for bossing. So because of this, the different like gameplay variations uh, in the deck, the AI director and you're all like, it feels like a board game almost. Cause there's also uh, a deck. So there's your deck of good cards, but then there's also a deck of bad cards. So at the start, the director might roll a card. That's like, there's fog rolling through the area. And if the area is foggy, then you can't see your teammates is a uh, status. Like you can't see their health and stuff like that. If they're like too far away from you. So someone could be like getting messed up off screen and they're like, help, you know, like I'm caught by like, I'm caught by this creature and, and you are looking around and you don't know where they are. And it's, it's really cool. Uh, this, this is a, it's, uh, I, I think that this is, oh, by the way, this is on Game Pass. So $60 game on release on Game Pass. This, this game is like, this is a perfect Game Pass game because this is a game that requires, like you want to play this with friends and it, it's a hard sell at $60, right? Mm -hmm. But but if everybody just has it included in their Game Pass, like that's a pretty good deal. How much was the original Left 4 Dead? I think it was $60, right? Left 4 Dead and uh, probably 60 I think they were 60 I think they were 60 Everything was I heard how much. $60. I mean, not, not everything, because Valve would sometimes make cheaper games. Like the orange box, I think, was kind of cheaper. But um, it's weird that like it feels like games aren't worth $60 these days, even though it's like a improved left for dead with progression when like the old left for dead felt like it was worth 60 dollars when it was just like a few maps few characters that like are all kind of the same right and that... people are willing to pay 60 dollars for metroid dread right i guess so i mean i did you did unless you didn't back for blood would have been a better would have been a better buy for 60 bucks i'm i'm impressed with this game dude i the progression tracks are so fun like it's it's really satisfying also so you're replaying these old levels and you're getting currency to spend on the reward tracks uh, that are giving you more cards and are giving you more uh, like cosmetic items. 
for like your characters and for your weapons, like you're getting weapon skins and character stuff. At some point, I'm sure that they're going to like um, MTX the shit out of this game. They're going to just nickel and dime you with paid DLC for stuff. But for now, there's like no, I don't think there's any paid DLC. There's only the uh, the battle pass. No, not a battle pass. There's a, a season pass, but it's the only piece of um, downloadable content in the game. Or is that Black for Blood? Unless you have any questions about it. No, it seems like, a, to me, it's a very known quantity. Like, I remembered uh, Left 4 Dead, and it sounds like Left 4 Dead, but I like the card system. I like some of the progression mechanics and stuff, and, like, that all sounds pretty cool. The guns feel great. Like, That's this always is, important. It feels really good to shoot. And I feel like if I go back to Valorant, like, I I, I went to, like, uh, you know, like a DPI, like an aim sensitivity website that makes that, like, you can transmute, like, your Valorant sensitivity to, like, back for blood sensitivity and i feel like i've been doing a lot of flick training just by playing this game Mm -hmm. like flicking between heads and it's nice to have a game like that you know where it's like low stakes and you just spend the entire game just shooting i played the good life what is it have you played any of the good life i backed it but i didn't get the key i don't think unless it was like in my spam it probably is it's in there so the good life is a game by swurry uh, his new studio is White Owl. So Swery is the developer of Deadly Premonition. And if you don't know what Deadly Premonition is, then then there's really not a great way to explain the good life. Um, but but Deadly Premonition is this game that is, uh, it, it's sort of like a cult hit of being like this very Twin Peaksy game where there are so many good things about it. And it's like so weird, but it's also extremely obtuse and unwieldy. The good life is less obtuse and it's less unwieldy um but what this game is is it calls itself a debt repayment simulator <laughs> but what it really is is it's more of like this it's slice squid games. yeah it's squid games it's a slice of life game where you are a new york city uh hotshot photographer who explores uh this small european town that's been called the happiest place in the world So you go there to investigate why. And what your character quickly finds out is that at night, and stop me if you've read this in a Murakami book before, uh, everyone in the town turns into animals. So everyone everyone in town turns into cats. And originally it was just going to be cats. Like when they first showed this game, it was like at night everyone turns into cats. And then a few months into development, they came back and they said correction everybody turns into cats or dogs there you go the two so, the two animals that people can be <laughs> so shortly after your character uh gets the ability to turn into a cat or a dog and where i am in the game which is not very far i'm like two and a half hours into the game nobody talks about it. like you transform into a cat in front of people and nobody says anything So in the midst of the prologue, there is this character who like you're trying to talk to to get to the bottom of things and to find out why. And they sort of like lead you along where you're like trying to track them and they keep running away and you keep trying to track them and they run away. And at the end of the prologue, you find them on a very foggy night. You you follow their tracks uh, to a pond uh, where they are impaled on a sword. Oh, wow. And then it starts as like, now there is this murder mystery and you want to know why this person was murdered. But also you're a hotshot New York photographer who could turn into a cat or a dog. 
and you are taking pictures and uploading pictures to the internet uh, to earn money and growing crops and doing like side quests. And it's a very like fetch questy game, but it has, it's extremely charming. And I feel like a lot of people are going to want to play this game just because the characters are so bizarre and, and you kind of just want to like spend time with these characters because they're so weird. There's a, a character who does like construction work, uh, but they are always wearing a suit of armor. Okay. Like you would. I mean, that's, that's, that's good OSHA guidelines. That is good OSHA guidelines. And there's also a, a, a girl who owns a, like a fashion shop, but she also just talks about how much money she makes live streaming. And then like when she's not at work, she, she like leaves her shift at work to go into this other room. And if you walk in, it's just a completely blank room. There's nothing in it except for a desk and a computer in the middle of the desk. And she just sits at that. And that's like her live streaming room. And it's like, what the, what the fuck is this game? And that is, that is the general energy that the good life exists. I don't think I'm going to play more. Yeah. Swery is, Swery is also weird for like having games where portions of it. You're not sure if it's just the game is that way is weird due to like ineptitude and portions of it. You're like, Oh, this is clearly just meant to be weird. You know, like, it's 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 a bizarre thing of like like deadly permission was a bad game um like it didn't play well and but people like like it overall because of like how weird and funny it is and it like does a good job with the narrative actually and it has its moments but i feel like it's a similar thing with this you're saying is like i don't know it just feels like i think he's in on it like if you follow him on like instagram he's got the most bizarre instagram but you you definitely get the sense of like who he is and that this is just like I get the sense that this came out exactly the way he wanted. Okay. And I think a lot of people are going to like this game. I don't have anything really negative to say about it. Maybe I would if I played more of it. I think that maybe it's a little too fetch questy. Um, and there are some awkward like fail states of you didn't follow this character, like almost like Assassin's Creed situations of like you didn't follow this correctly or do this in the right amount of time so we're kicking you back to like an old check okay i thought it was all right strong opinion what else have you played played? any games uh Uh. well i played um phasmophobia there's a big update i i so i think that if there are people who played phasmophobia um when it was a big thing last year you know this it, it was like pretty popular specifically last year around halloween and i think that there are a lot of people who are like oh it's great i'm gonna wait uh, for it to like sort of cook and I'm going to come back to it. And I think that it's cooked. I, I think that the game right now is in a really terrific state. So for Halloween, they added a new map. They added a campsite map. Uh, it's their first outdoor map. It's also, I think, I, I think that the map, the new campsite map, it's so dense and interesting that it kind of sets a new standard uh, for what all the future maps should be like. And their team is also of the same opinion where they're like, yeah, we're going to take the same quality that we have with this campsite where it's like so dense, so interesting, so original. There's like different things going on everywhere. And they plan to sort of like take this energy and bring it to all the old maps. So they're going to be like rebuilding them all to sort of have this um, level of quality and level of detail. But on top of the campsite map, 
Um, they also redid some of the difficulty levels, and they also added a fourth difficulty uh, called Nightmare, which is, you know, it, this is like supposed to be like an ultra hard difficulty uh, only for like the best players. So people, so I do see like a lot of people who have been like complaining that like this mode is too hard. This mode has too much randomness to it. And the developer's response has always been, if you think that's the case, then this isn't for you. Like the game already has a difficulty called like professional. So nightmare is supposed to be only for people who are really looking for a serious challenge. And what they've done with nightmare is they've made it so that um, the player can no longer see uh, the ghost activity level. They can no longer see uh, sanity level there. When you enter into a map, most of the hiding places are blocked off. A lot of the doors are randomly open. And that matters because usually in this game, you would investigate a house, all the doors are closed, but you could use uh, an open door as an indication that like a ghost is there, they've opened it. So now the doors are open randomly. But the biggest change in uh, nightmare mode is that they only, a ghost has three evidences. And if you identify all three, you know exactly what ghost it is. But in nightmare mode, they only show you two evidence you can only ever get two evidence from a ghost and from there you have to use the ghost's mannerism uh to figure out what it is so for example the revenant is one of the fastest ghosts in the game so in order to determine whether the ghost is a revenant you would need to get it to hunt you and then figure out if it's moving faster than a, a regular ghost is or there's a ghost that is uh, it refuses to attack in the light. It'll only attack when it's dark. And it has a characteristic where it'll never turn on a light. So if it flip, if a ghost flips a light switch, you can figure out like, okay, we're definitely dealing with uh, not a mare. Like it's not a mare. It has to be something. Else. So I, I think that Nightmare Mode is the most interesting addition to the game uh, because uh, me and my team, we've gotten to the point where... Uh, we're we're solving the the ghost in under five minutes most of the time. Like, <clears throat> in order to actually have a challenge, we've we've created a different game mode where one person goes in and tries to disrupt the hunters while they're trying to set up, essentially by like finding the Ouija board and trying to get the ghost to come out and attack and to disrupt the evidence. And it was like the only way that we could actually find a challenge wow. in the game before nightmare mode came out because we've just gotten like so good at like down to down to a formula like figuring out where the ghost is and like speed running it and there's also four new ghosts um i think the one that's the most interesting is the twins uh where essentially there will be two ghosts in the map uh so they'll you will get like events on like two different sides of the map uh they you know it's kind of spooky because you might uh think that you've found the ghost and you've narrowed it down to a specific room and then it starts hunting and it turns out that uh the way that you're going to hide well the twin was over there so and that's happened to me a couple of times where i was in the room that the ghost was hanging out in a hunt started i went to run away you know, maybe I'm downstairs, I run upstairs, and I run directly into the twin. Not fair. And that's pretty crazy. There's a, 
They added like a shape-shifting ghost that has like a unique handprint. They added a ghost that interacts with a uh, fire where if you keep a uh, fire around it, it won't attack. But if it manages to blow out the fire, uh, then it will attack. Or if you blow out, if you like take a candle and you like remove it or you blow out the candle, then it will attack you. Um, there is a, a ghost that feeds off of electrical equipment. And <clears throat> it seems like they put a lot of these ghosts in the, the game to counteract some of the ways that people have been interacting with the systems. So in the last update, they changed it so that if you are holding a device like an EMF reader and it's going off, the ghost will be able to locate you. So a lot of people got into the habit of throwing their equipment on the ground when a hunt starts. So now they've introduced a new ghost that will feed off of the energy uh, of electronics that are left around uh, in order to hunt players uh, at greater speeds. So it's really cool that they've put ghosts into the game that are like responding to the meta that the players have created. They also they also addressed like my biggest gripe with the game, which is uh, when you are being hunted, you can press the radio button, and if it emits static, then you know the hunt is still going on. And now they've changed it so that if you press the radio button, the ghost will find you. So they've created this situation where it's not easy to tell if a hunt has ended, and that creates a lot more tension. Ultimately, like they they've just up the up the tension in the game. They've made it a lot scarier. They've added new challenges, and it's the it's the best detective game. Like it's crazy that they've created a. a it's not just a horror game, but it is also just like a terrific investigation game that is different every time you play it. Like it's fine. It's fun to find the clues and stuff like that. And there's so much variety in it now of maps and ghosts. Well, man, I'm doing a lot of monologuing. I've got so many games. I know you do have a lot of games. I guess let's talk about Inscription. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, let's bring that one out. Um, so like Back for Blood, Inscription is a card game. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, it is. Um, more so than Black, Back for Blood. Uh, Inscription is a really weird game. Um, it was made by a developer of Pony Island, and that doesn't mean that much to me, but maybe it'll mean some to, something to other people. Um, it almost has that, like, Frog Fractions-y vibe, but not exactly. Like, it's not, like, you know, insane and weird, and that it feels like it's going to be something different, but it does do, like, it does experiment with, like, different styles. Um, yeah, so this game, if you look at any press material for the game, any of the reviews for the game, uh, they will show off the game as being a roguelike deck builder. And that's and that's what they've shown in all of the trailers and all of the images. And that's definitely true. Like this game starts out uh, and it is a roguelike deck builder with a horror twist to it. Or like horror, not like in the jump scary sort of way, but in like a unsettling. Uh, there, it's it's very grim, and yeah. there is some uh, body horror in it of like uh, teeth and eyeballs getting ripped out. So if you're like a tooth person, and like a lot of people have like problems with like teeth, uh, then this is probably not the game for you. Yeah. So the kind of setup is that you're like locked into this cabin that is like semi feels like an escape room and that this like bizarre being that is in the shadows that you can't see its face like you just see its eyes is 
forcing you to play a card game slash tabletop kind of thing and um uh that is the start of the game that is not always what you'll be doing but that is the start of the game and it's also where i've so far felt the game was the strongest um which is uh so far a little disappointing but um the actual like card game you kind of you it is the card game itself is pretty consistent because even when it does different styles it does draw largely upon the rules of this card game and for the most part that means that this is like a four lane card game and one of the most like major aspects of it is that like old Yu-Gi-Oh Pokemon style of like you have to sacrifice creatures um so like the games one of the ways that they actually do a good job with like how that i kind of dislike that style and what they kind of do to improve that style is that you can as you're build you're building a deck of these like beasts in the beginning and uh you can also draw from a squirrel deck and and you'll always draw a squirrel from squirrel deck and squirrels are like no cost zero attack one health minions and you can basically do as much as you want on your turn and then you end the turn. So like a regular turn might look like yeah, you put you can down summon any monster you want. You like put down two squirrels and a wolf has to, ha, needs two sacrifices to play it. And the wolf is like a three, two, I think. Um, yeah. So you put down two squirrels, sacrifice the two squirrels, put down a wolf. And then when you end your turn, all the creatures will attack. And it follows that kind of like, I guess like Hearthstone also rule of like the, the creatures attack what is opposite of them. Well, it's not Hearthstone actually, because Hearthstone you choose. But um, but uh, uh, the creatures attack what is opposite them uh, in their lane, and they attack without a repercussion. Kind of uh, like they they attack and deal their damage to the thing's health without getting it dealt back to them until the enemy turn uh, goes. And if there's nothing, then the creatures just attack the opponent and deal like the direct damage. And I think one of the coolest things about this game. That is, at, that is definitely the aspect that is the most unique because everything else I've said is like drawn from different card games is that the win condition is variable. Um, the it, It's always built on doing more damage, but it's built on doing more, a, a certain it's, amount over you damage. You have to deal like 5%, five, da- 5 damage more than they've dealt to you. And it's done on a scale, right? So if you've done three damage and they've done three damage, then you're currently even, right? The yeah. scale isn't tilted in any direction. Yeah. And it also means that you can have those moments where either like one one person's like, you know, one damage away from losing and then they claw their way back in and get to a part where it's like now instead of the enemy still thinking like you're the enemy is the, this person's one way one damage away from losing, it's like no, you're only they're only one damage away from winning, right? So like it's always on the scale. Um and they do they one of the other things that is like more unique about this game is that it does a lot of stuff outside of just the card game, um, like meta wise. Um, yeah, you can get up. You get up from the table that the card game is happening at, and there will be like puzzles around the room, uh, and also some cards that start talking to. Yeah, just to give you an idea of what the game is like, and you could see this in a trailer. One of the first talking cards you get is a stoat. And the stoat says, just play along for now. And yeah. that kind of is like, that sort of gives you an idea of what this game is, is going for, of like, the cards are also, like, they want something from you. And the other thing is that, so uh, when you inevitably die in this game, uh, 
you create a death card. So you take cards out of your deck, uh, you choose a cost, you choose a stat line, and you choose like a modifier. So you can create like a super busted card. And it seems like uh, towards the end of these runs and when you get a run that you win, uh, you have ended up with like a pretty messed up deck in a lot of cases where you have like squirrels that will live forever or you have a card that will search the deck for a different card. So you can get cards that like if the card dies, it comes back to your hand and things like that. So you get this case of like, okay, I have a squirrel that every time a squirrel dies, it comes back to my hand. Uh, And then, or every time I summon a squirrel, I can search my deck for something, which is crazy because that means every time that you draw a squirrel, you're also drawing whatever the squirrel draws. So if you have a bunch of like really powerful one cost cards in your deck, you can flood the, you could like, you know, essentially get any card out you want. And if you have like, a one a one sacrifice card that deals six damage that you've created um then you can do turn one kills yeah just over and over yeah like for for the death card there was i had a zero cost like seven seven with um infinite sacrifice or something on it it was like insane like it it was a like ridiculously high stat no sacrifice and whenever i uh whenever i sacrificed it like it would stay on the board um, also on like my final, like my play, my playthrough that we like won that I won this, uh, uh, roguelike, um, I had the, there's these, there's all these other like wild mechanics that, uh, that I feel like are just better left seen, but there's like a thing where you can modify, uh, like totems where you can like modify certain types of creatures. And I, I had one set up where it was a rodents always return to your hand on, it's like, it's like recycle your hand on death. So I would only need like one or two squirrels and then I would just be able to play out anything I wanted. Um, and that, and on that, that, uh, that run, I kept getting amalgams and amalgams count as, I guess, every type of card. So they counted as a squirrel. So they would get the return to your hand on death. And they, I also like pumped up their stats, um, and had one that was like fused and all this kind of stuff. So it was this wild thing of like huge stat line creatures that like whenever they die, they return to my hand and I have infinite sacrifices. So I could just play out whatever I wanted. Uh, it, it really yeah. gets wild. Like it really gets to like some pretty crazy places to, uh, with that, with the rogue. And next week we're going to talk, uh, spoilers on this game. And when I say next week, I mean, whenever the next podcast ends up being, but I, a lot of people have been asking for more of this. Like they want to see this concept, expanded out and i agree like i i think that this card system is really smart and i'd love to see uh daniel mullins do do more with it yeah some really cool stuff to it i really do think that like it does a good job with it um uh i i have some gripes after this initial the initial stuff i really liked a lot and it was really really driving me forward and then now i have some more gripes but like you said i think that it's probably better left to like when we can do a like postmortem on the game more because um, for right now it feels like I would rather people just experience it and not like you know talk a lot about the different places the game goes. It's one of those games yeah. where you you know it's going to go some places early on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's that's mostly uh, what I would want to say about Inscription. What other games have you been playing? Um, I I haven't played Tales of Arise in a week. I don't have a ton more to say about it, but. I got to the point where I had all where I have all the characters 
Wow, um, that's a that's always a fun place to be. It's a fun place to be, but it's also there's something like um, I don't know something about a little like, sad uh, about it, I, like of like yeah, now like you won't have something new. Um, and I do feel like I, I was talking to a friend uh, who was playing this game. And, really? Yes. Uh, who? One of the Ew. one of a friend from college. Ooh. Uh, who was who was playing this game and um he he had complaints and then finished the game and like they were kind of similar to my complaints like i'm definitely less jized on it um 35 or so hours in i think um the i feel like the in the beginning everything like like the the overall play style of the game i really liked so much that uh and it was like a very classic jrpg but like i just loved the way the game played and looked so much that I like I, I was on I've on I'm on this podcast talking about how like I don't think that the narrative is very interesting nor do I think the characters are that interesting but I think that like it's somewhat nostalgic um to go to like a very well handled high presentation JRPG and that as I get further into the game that works less um like I, I feel like this story still is a little bit too paint by numbers um they this the game does this thing a lot where like multiple times they they'll like use a character that talks to you but is like the same kind of model so you know that like they're never going to be that important or they're never going to appear again and there's even this thing in this game where like there's this character that shows up that is supposed to be good but like because of the way that their face was i was just like oh no they're evil and then it and then it happened like this is a game that's messed up like this is a game that is like it's so that is so animated the game is so predictable is like so aggressively predictable that like the fun of it starts to wear off a little bit more later on in the game um and it like it really just it kind of like highlights a lot of my problems with with jrpgs just like it it kind of shocks me that like where do i don't know like is it just that kind of like american style of media machine of like you know you have x amount of money make me another action movie and it doesn't have to be like that interesting or good or written well and that it's just constantly like you know like bandai namco is just like hey we got more money for tales you got to pump out another thing because it feels like there are good writers out there and there are people willing to tell interesting stories and that like jrpgs so often just like wallow in like you know boy with amnesia finds girl and they slowly fall in love and instantly find all these characters along this journey that just like drop whatever they're doing to go to a to this like long you know uh stop this existential threat um and i don't know like and especially as it got later in the game like there are some really boring characters and then they would kind of do this thing where they would like introduce a facet that like was not remotely played up or like had not been revealed before and then try and make me think that like oh the character is deeper than that and it was very weird it's like well you should have built to it you should have like written to this so uh, i'm i'm nearing kind of the end of like the at least like the structure of what originally they're setting up is like you know have to you have to kill these like i think five barren kind of things and i'm kind of nearing the end of that and i know it still goes for like another 10 or so hours after that but i haven't had a lot of drive to play it um i i I, I, th- th- that doesn't like depress me that much. Like I, I think that it's okay to have get gotten 35 hours out of something and feel like pretty nostalgic about it. I, I think I, I still might return, but, um, yeah, like it, it's not, do you, do you ever, I, I rarely do. Um, cause not to be bec- sassy, but because you know, sometimes if, if I I'm, do, well, usually if I'm falling off of something and I'm not playing it, there's more of a reason why. And then it's never like, I don't think it's that great to get to a point 
in your hobby of like like especially something like video games where it's if where like you don't want to i don't think it's great to force yourself to like continue doing something you don't like just because you want to finish it like i've had that problem i've been reading books again and i've talked about this on the podcast and i started reading this one book um rules of magic because it was recommended to me uh on like a blog that was talking about things that are like murakami and i find murakami to be like really flawed but oh you're gonna love this uh but go on and then i'll tell you my really flawed but really interesting and this this you know this blog was talking about here's some other um you know surrealist kind of like authors um and uh one was recommended it's a very popular book actually by alice hoffman the rules of magic and there's like even like i think there's like movies about this series um and i just kept trying to read it and i I knew it was written so well and i could tell like just the writing felt like oh wow this is really just like so creative so dripping with you know interesting characters but like it just wasn't grabbing me and i kept you know like with the other with the other books like i would go through these like massive like just read 40 50 pages at once or sometimes you know you get to the last 100 pages and just like marathon it that day and just like just really be stuck in my head and this book i thought you know was good but i wasn't that interested in it and because i like i realized like i have to switch i have to get off that and i think it's a similar thing with games is like if it's a like if a 50 hour jrpg like if you're not enjoying it at 35 hours like i got enjoyment out of it I don't think I should push myself. Like if I'm if I'm not if I haven't played it for a week, then like I, and I've had a little bit of time to play it. You know what I mean? Like there's an underlying reason why like it's not driving me forward. So I don't know. I feel you. Um, I sent you a link, and I think you're gonna appreciate it. But I saw this uh, thread recently on book suggestions of looking for a book author that writes like Murakami but is as dark as Stephen King. Oh wow. Uh, so I feel like maybe take a look at some of those suggestions if you're looking for some. Um, I, I agree with you. It is hard. Sometimes I do want to see something through, and that's definitely how I felt about like Metroid Dread, where towards the end I was like, I feel like I've exhausted everything in this game. Uh, I felt that way with Metroid I'm, Dread, I'm, but it's I'm a little so bit close. easier. Yeah, but it's a little I'm bit easier with, it's, with a shorter thing. Yeah, absolutely. If it's a shorter thing, then yeah, sure. Like Then, then I can be like kind of like, you know, starting to get sick of it, but we'll still play it. But for something that's like, oh, I still got like, you know, another 15 hours to go in a JRPG. Like, I don't think that, that my my issue with it being like narrative based is like, I'm t- it's too far in for me to necessarily feel like I, I, I don't trust the writing team that like they're going to make it all worth it because there's not enough happening now or enough intrigue now that that like they could do that you know what i mean like there's not enough puzzle pieces like the, as far in as i am the 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 plot has largely been like you go to a town and it's largely usually it's just overseen by like a really shitty baron of this there's this like like i, I explained it one time it's like there's this like alien race that like the, in this solar system that has gained space travel and flew over to this one world and subjugated the people and the main thing is like every couple of years like the barons of the cities have like a fight to determine who is the strongest of them and who like leads this group of people and what you are trying to do is like liberate these towns and stop this um this like horrible um uh cycle of like oppression of these characters and the uh this like you know kind of fighting game thing this like a uh, the violent like um death game that these like barons play or whatever and 
there's not enough like just you go to the towns and largely it's just like oh the the baron is really bad in this town um there's one that kind of subjugates that that uh that that not like subverts this expectations in an interesting way but for the most part they like it's just like oh the baron is really bad um you got to free the people and then you free the people and then you move on to the next town and it's very like it's it feels like pretty isolated um the other thing that i would say is that it, that it, like uh there's these tales always has these like um conversations between characters um while you're going there'll just be like a pop-up on the side that's like oh do you want to see like a little mini cutscene it's like not a, a cutscene comic but it's like a yeah. little comic of the characters talking and the characters in this game are just they're so boring they're so one note it, it, it is it is really that thing of like like i i've written i write sometimes and i and i you know want to write more in my life and uh, I, I, it is a challenge to make characters that are not just like a one note thing. And this game really does like goes hard on like the characters have a singular kind of speed. Uh, there's one character that just talks about her brother all the time. So every time she's basically in one of these cutscenes, it's usually like, oh, I, here's a recipe that I, that I learned. I'm cooking for you guys. I learned it from my brother. He's such a calm and thoughtful guy. I learned everything from him. I'm so sad, you know, that he's not here. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a twist that she never had a brother. No, he's there. I've seen him. But, um, that's too bad. But so, so like there's, you know, like the game does that a lot. Um, there's even one character that is like, I think that like, like I was trying to say before, like I was saying before, there's like the characters aren't written well. Like they're non, they're very non-consistent in like a very weird way. Uh, the, one of the, one of the early characters you get, his thing is that he's like very cold in his life, you know, like he, he is stoic and his life it makes sense why his life has been like that. He was abandoned as a child, like kind of basically orphaned and was kind of trained by this like usurper class to be a, like, uh, like, like a, like to, to, to subjugate his own. So he's kind of this like, like, you know, detective enforcer for the horrible ruling class. Um, and like, this one, you're, like when you meet him, he's he's evil and fights against you. And this one action kind of changes everything. And it's a very dark thing that happens that switches him over to your side. But then almost immediately in like, you know, comic strips and in conversations, he's this like goofy, cheerful character that loves to eat. And it, it, it just, it, it is very weird. And the game That's does- so funny. They do the same thing in Yakuza. Uh, but it's yeah, just like a dragon. Yeah, it, it's it's like they it, like oftentimes it feels like you know there is this blueprint for like oh this is this is the character he's this like goofy martial artist and he loves to eat and then like whatever team created that and did the dialogue for him like wasn't talking with the team that like would introduce him in the game so his backstory and like the darkness that is like clearly in this character that like is abandoned and has all this resentment and has worked for the enemies even and to in in and he, he has hurt his own kind is now like with one act has changed to be on your side and is suddenly like this goofy like you know like messing around like loves to just eat and sleep and like he's like a goofball like kind of a, a comic reliefy character and it's just like it doesn't make any sense from a writing so like the game is like it's very inconsistent narratively and it really suffers for that and the characters are very boring the characters are like aggressively boring the main character's thing is just amnesia which is like oh christ almighty right um uh it kind of and in large parts like i feel like the game tries to emulate some of the like i think all jrpgs now uh like there's a high watermark with final fantasy 
um, 15 and what they did with the cast. Um, Final Fantasy 15 has a this interesting static cast of just four characters where you never get any more or less. And um, the characters are so consistent and have these like very deep bonds and you feel like you're going on this road trip with them and the 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 they use this very boring backstory that is a backdrop really largely for these like friends that are that have that are like the deepest bonds that like and what like contest them and like break them and i think that that is a hugely flawed game but like that aspect of it has kind of soured me on these jrpgs because this game is doing some it's 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 curbing some of that it's doing like like final fantasy 15 some of my favorite moments are that whenever you sleep at an inn like there's like sometimes pop-up conversations between characters and they are so deep and like really flesh out these characters and like some of their problems and some of like the dark aspects of them are like their you know like different neuro like neurosis of that they have and then this game like they attempt that uh where whenever where like sometimes when you sleep you can have these conversations with the characters but like i said like they're so one note that like there's never you're never learning anything new it's just another example another like whenever it's like oh here's another time i could talk with law it's another time for law to be like be like i love chicken skewers <laughs> it's so crazy. We're having some we're having such a good time out here. It's insane. I but I do want to but I do like sleeping in beds and in inns though. You know, like there's nothing. Like there's like there's nothing. They don't they don't ever do anything new. And it really is kind of like a little crazy that like this much money can be poured into these kind of things and that like they really just don't go anywhere. I mean that's on me. You know, like I like what did I expect? I I think I I often talk down this very genre for these kind of problems and I thought that like I was. And for, and for like a lot of those hours, I felt like, uh, I was ready to just play another one of these for the nostalgia factor alone. And that like, I'm just coming up with the same problems. Like even, you know, it's sad. You got some time out of it. Yeah. I got some time out of it. Like I, I don't, and I don't dislike it. I, I wouldn't say that it's bad. I just think that it's like, it's not creative and it's just not that interesting or well-written. And those kind of things become a problem when you get that late into the game, because you you still need a narrative pull like you know like I, I in the beginning i was just having so much fun just fighting um and i was thinking like you know the story is kind of boring but maybe there'll be something that catches me along the way and then the fact that it hasn't done that and it's still kind of like you know spinning its gears you know it doesn't it, it is kind of um losing I'm, i've lost my um, enough well there there was a guilty gear patch in grand traditions of this podcast i feel like it's so inside baseball that it's hardly worth discussing I guess I thought it was kind of I think there's some interesting things about it. It largely it's it, the patch like is disillusioned me a little bit because um, there are some characters that got things that make sense for their kits that like help them do their overall thing better. Um, and also the patch like created some interesting new um, uh, gameplay elements for some characters or like new combo routes. And that kind of stuff is cool. The character I play is Zato. And the kind of changes they made just seem kind of uh, off base with like what Azato main would talk about wanting to the point of like they they like like they they gave him like things that just like don't work um, like they and something and it's it's weird because like the the buffs that he got or like some of the changes he got you don't even see people utilizing at all um, which I think yeah. is bad but like it's kind of felt like as the game has gone on. Um, there's been a little bit of movement in in the tiers, and for, if anything, mostly every patch people get buffed. And Zato has felt like he largely doesn't get anything, 
Um, so I feel like he's slowly like going from like a upper middle tier ish character on launch to like slowly going to go down as like nothing really new is happening to him. And that like Arxis is kind of doing a poor job of balancing the cast overall. I feel like, uh, you play, uh, uh, Faust who is like generally thought of as like the worst character. Um, he got some slight new things, but like it's a patch where, you know, so the, some of the best characters got new things. So, yeah. so like when you do that, like you, you're not creating momentum. You're not creating like a movement in tears. You're just kind of like solidifying things. So, yeah, Faust didn't really get what he needed. He, he got some fun tools and he did get, uh, like a pretty good tool for mix up on wake up, uh, which is what he more of that is what's going to make him a good character. They added some new combo routes in mid screen, but again, that's like two inside baseball. Ultimately, yeah, I'm I'm I, I don't have much to say about this patch. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing what they would do. This was supposed to be like their larger. Yeah, update, this is their big like update. Their big like they're they're like like get ready, guys. Like if you wanted balance, here it is. And like I would say that like that is that they did a poor job. If that was yeah, we'll here. see what we'll see what comes next. I don't know, like maybe there is somebody who's like really maybe it's like there's some gold Lewis player that's like really pumped on this. I'm not um, sure. Actually, no. Interestingly enough, because uh, the main gold Lewis player Gobu is back to playing Zato because the uh, changes to gold Lewis have actually indirectly hurt him. Mm, that's good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, the last thing I would say about Guilty Gear is that like some of the uh, other you know. System change, system things uh, that are frustrating have kind of gotten to me recently. Um, and the big one I would say is that I'm currently aggressively stuck in a purgatory between Floor 10 and Celestial. Uh, there, so um, the the I, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but there's uh, floors like one through ten, and you go all, and the top is Floor 10. And then after you win enough in floor 10, you get put into a like waiting room, a purgatory to go into Celestial with the highest level. All the highest level players are all kind of congregated and you have to win five out of six matches. Uh, but the game is like it, it feels very binary the way it was set up rather than like a kind of more linear progression. Um, in a lot of other fighting games, you kind of go up all these ranks and then slowly accrue like battle points or something, you know, like in Tekken, there's these different ranks and there's a lot of ranks and you are like, there's so many ranks that you get a good dispersion of player skill throughout those ranks. Um, so you do kind of get to these different points where it's like, now people are doing more of this kind of stuff and you have to really learn these kind of things. Or now in this rank, people are playing more of this and you have to learn, you know, uh, more like, yeah. uh, throw breaks in, in, maybe in, I'm wrong. It feels like everyone's on floor 10, right? It feels like everyone's on. So, so the way where I'm currently at is it's a very binary thing where, where I, I I'm on floor 10 and it feels like I can largely beat a lot of people. Except some type, some people who've fallen who are like level two hundreds, who are like who still kind of like crush me, and like maybe they just had some unlucky games, or or they played on their alts, or they played because... on played on their alts or something, because that's another thing that I actually really hate about uh, this game that it does. But um, uh, you only yeah, you only have like the one account, which means that uh, like few games do a good job of this. Tekken, um, your characters have individual ranks, and I think that that is like the way to go because it stops. A lot of this like anxiety with like i must play if i'm gonna play ranked 
Um, I have to play Zato because I put the most time on him and I'm the most comfortable. And it feels like I'm like I'm not allowed to play other characters because I haven't played them at this high of a level before. Um, and I really wish that they would just like let me, you know, start on floor one with like a Jacko or something. Or, you know, like, or go Lewis and just like, you know, play against people who have no idea what they're doing, get to the point where like, I've worked my way up and I'm, I'm starting to get more comfortable with this character. But where I currently am is that I'm just like going between, I'm floor 10, I can mostly beat everyone I fight and I don't have to think that hard. I can basically autopilot. And then I get to, to the Celestial Waiting Room where like people's game plan and like their, the speed at which they react is so tight that like suddenly it feels like everything I do is wrong. It, suddenly it feels like I'm playing neutral for 10 seconds. They get a hit. They do a combo. They uh, do a 50-50, I guess wrong, uh, or I guess right, and I'm into like a massive block stun 50-50, and then, I'm, and then I lose. And then so then I basically get to Celestial, and I lose twice, get kicked out, and go to floor 10. And it's it's just bad. Like, it's just bad. Like, uh, I played a ton of fighting games, like Tri Dragon Ball Fighters. I played a ridiculous amount of, and it's this linear progression. Like, you you gain some BP for winning, you lose some BP for losing, and it's and it's a ELO system based on, like, you lost to a lower-ranked person, so you lose more. You won to against a higher-ranked person, you won more. And because of it, you have this, like, you're fluctuating up and down on a ladder. And yep. in with the way with the tier the the floor tiers the way that it works is that people get to floor ten and then it's it literally goes from like you're fighting against casuals like myself that like don't play this game every second of every day or like lab all that much like we just play a couple times here and there a week and then you go to the purg to the celestial purgatory where you are fighting like lab monsters you are fighting people that like have put in enough effort that like they are like option selecting everything you're doing nothing is going to work out you are not going to get out of their pressure like you either you have to like be so tight that like you get one hit on them and then you put them into an infinite block stun or they're going to do it to you and you're not going to be able to play and it it is just bad like it, it feels like there should be so much more of a gradient in between floor 10 and the purgatory and it's made yeah, it me like not like want to play don't even you don't have what you need you don't have the fights to like to fight people to get up to the level where people at celestial are it, it, it right? really is like you the, the best way you lack that intermediate level like the 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 mid to upper classmen, right? Like Absolutely. The... Like there should be like a floor like ten through fifteen, and then a celestial or something. Because yeah, the, the some of the best way the, the best ways you learn fighting games is that like you're fighting you at people someone slightly at better slightly than better than you. So like they're make they're doing something slightly better than you, but not everything is better than you. So you can pick up on this new thing that they're doing is like is like oh this person has really mixed in like I need uh, to modify this little thing. Yeah, and then I'm. Yeah, And then you find like that one thing that starts working again and you're like, okay, put this into my new game plan, you practice it, and then now you're doing enough new things that like you can throw people off kilter and then you keep moving up and then you, you, know, you fluctuate. It really does feel like there's just this gap of like this bizarre thing of like there's supposed to be ranks between 10 and Purgatory or whatever where where all of a sudden I get there and it's like, I'm not ready for this. I, I can't fight any of these people. It's not even enjoyable. Like I'm just getting absolutely destroyed. And then I go to 10 and I basically have an easy time. I coast my way back to purgatory. So I think that is like a really bad system. And like, I don't think that that is going to get fixed. I think that is a really, really bad system. And, and I already think that the general way that this has worked is bad. That like, I think the only way I would make it in Celestial is if I handpicked my opponents to just be like, 
people like myself that just got from like if I waited around and then scoped for people that are like you know like level 90 people they level 80 people like the gold border. they didn't yeah, have the gold border and they they uh, are just new on this floor that like I could beat those people five out of six times but I cannot beat these people that like have the gold border that are VIPs that are level 200s and stuff that are like just playing at a level that is I want that gold border un unrecognizable like it's basically unrecognizable to me because like I crave I the gold border though yeah I think I'll get there eventually if I if I played enough I, I could do it I mostly because I play I, I play Faust and he could he could just worm it in sometimes you know like he catches people yeah. unawares um so I got a couple of quick hits of, of some things I've been playing uh I played this game crawl have you heard of this one no so Crawl is a four-player local multiplayer game, uh, but you can play it on remote play. And I played it on remote play. It was seamless. It was flawless. Uh, if you don't know what remote play is, um, if you own a game that is a local multiplayer game, uh, you can send an invite through Steam, and it will stream the game to people, and then they can join you. They don't even have to own the game. So only one person has to own it. So Crawl is a multiplayer dungeon crawler where one person plays as the hero and everybody else is a spirit that can inhabit traps and monsters. And if you kill the hero, you become the hero. And then you can use the resources, uh, like you can use like gold to buy new weapons and the you're also like leveling up like the monsters uh, in the dungeon. So maybe you really like the mushroom uh, monster, you can level up your mon mushroom monster. So now you're like a mushroom wizard. So the game effectively is a king of the hill game where you are trying to hold onto the hero for long enough to raise your hero to level 10. And once you get to level 10, you can go fight uh, this three headed monster where the spirits are play inhabiting like the different heads of this three headed monster and if the hero manages to beat it within three tries, so if even if it's different people, like if, if you do it, uh, you fail, and then I do it, I fail, and then our other friend does it and he fails, then it's game over, and it's an inconclusive win. Mm -hmm. um, as you uh, play it more, you're unlocking different bosses and different uh, deities, and the deity track that you choose influences uh, what monsters you're getting so it kind of has like this it's like it's a run based game uh where the runs they're not that long it's like maybe a half hour to 40 minutes is is a playthrough where you're all jumping in so it's a pretty neat game i got it because it's on the it's on the halloween sale it's uh like five dollars i think but it's it's pretty neat um i also so i also recently got uh the xbox elite controller which is like those $200, like very heavy controllers. It's, it's the nicest controller I've ever used, but it also made me want to play like a game that had really tight controls. So I've also been dipping back into Dead Cells and nice. that game is so good. They've, it's, it's had a lot of updates. They've added just like, they didn't, they haven't added more areas. They've just, or like, they, sorry, they haven't added more mechanics. It's just that they've been putting, more into the game you know what i mean so more uh environments and more weapons uh and that game always just it, it's always felt crisp and it continues to be a really good feeling game 
And it's been a nice way to just when I want to pick up the controller and press the buttons on this nice controller, it's, it's been a good game to go to for that. Dope. Anything else? So those are, yeah, let me tell you about uh, the most obnoxious thing that happened in my life recently. Uh, so recent, so I'm going to, I've recently moved to Pittsburgh. Friends of the uh, listeners of the show, fans of the show will know that I mo- recently moved to Pittsburgh. Um, in a month, I have to go to a wedding in New York. So we've been trying to find a dog sitter. And my dog is, is he's not simple. You know, he's nervous. He's scared. And recently we had a dog sitter come to the house, meet him, and then decline uh, working. Like, essentially was like, this dog uh, is too nervous. I can't, I can't watch him. And it's hard because I feel like I personally don't know, like, how do I tell people like what his triggers are, like how to respond? Because essentially I have to be like, if you stick out his hand, like the way that you would normally approach a dog, which is like, maybe you're quiet. You're like, Oh, Hey buddy. You like stick out your hand towards him. My dog hates that. Like he's just like, he'll, he'll just like, he'll, he'll nip, you know, he's a nipper. So if you do that, if you like slowly approach him and get like close to him and stick out your hand, uh, he'll just, he'll just bite your hand, you know? Uh, and it, it was, it was also this thing of like, well, what do I do? Because like, does this mean that like, is, is he just at a point where I can't introduce new people to him because he's, he doesn't know how to treat new people. But, uh, I had an old friend of mine came to visit today who never met chance before and just like figured out chance's energy. And they were like really good friends, like, like right away, like, Chance, like, you know, went up to his hand, like Chance did his little nip. And my friend is like, yeah, whatever. Just like, you know, scratched him and Chance was like into it. And then they were friends. So I, I'm just frustrated that it didn't work out with this sitter and that I like kind of don't know how to like explain how to act like around my dog. You know what I mean? It's just like, I guess I just need to find someone who like vibes with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's I don't thing. know. This is that is a scary kind of thing. I, I see what you're saying. This like, is also you're not like be able to easily find a dog sitter. And this is the thing that also is difficult about like moving across the country uh, to a place where you don't know people. Because if if it's like if I were on like Long Island or New York, New York or something like in general, I could just like drop the dog off at, you know, a family house and like that's fine. But now it's like, I don't know anyone. And I actually like have to entrust this task to a stranger. And that's complicated. That's my life update for the, for the show. Well, hell no. What? Is that it, James? That's it. That's it. That's all I got. That's all I got. Uh, WTDGpodcast.com. That's where this podcast lives. You could find us on the Twitter at sign WTDG podcast. We'll have our meta page up soon. Oh, Christ. Uh, that's it. That's a social media joke. Everyone loves that. Uh, and you can find us on, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you listen to this or how you view the, the video version of the, of the show. Uh, maybe you're on Spotify. Uh, you could find us there. What's the deal with games where you could rate and subscribe to the show on your Apple, your iTunes. I don't know. What do people use these days? To listen to music. Uh, you could find us on SoundCloud. Um, you can't find us there. Thank you, Ryan Galloway and Bumper for the use of your music. We use the intro now intro. You can get it off the new album, Pop Songs 2020. Uh, you can uh, go find them on YouTube to find links to all their merch. I have their uh, their Raggio. I have their, not not a Raggio, really, but really more of a um, a record player. Um, a, and and a, their shirt. 
And this week's episode is also sponsored by Better Health. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> oh, no. Don't start that. No. <laughs> oh, shit. That, that is, no, that is another, that is for another time. Like, you, can't, podcast you, can't, is, you can't pop that up at 155. Fuck Better Health. Better Health doesn't work. Is, don't use it. Please don't use it. Uh, what you can use, though, is, is a Quip toothbrush. That'll, that'll do it for the show today, everyone. Oh, nice. Thanks, Quip Ryan. toothbrush? Hell yeah. I do have one. Nice. Uh, that'll do it. Uh, that'll do, pig. There's never been a better time to play games. There's never been a better time to stop this podcast. Mm-hmm.